You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as normal, I'd like to start off with a shout out to our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners from London, Southampton, Cardiff, Portsmouth, Coventry, Sheffield, Derby, Darlington, Dudley, Ipswich, Newcastle upon Tyne, Leeds, Manchester, Birmingham, Guildford, Reading, Norwich, and Swansea. We also have new listeners from Marseille in France, from Brussels in Belgium, from Vastra Goldland in Sweden, from Attica in Greece, from Beijing in China, and then also from Alberta and Ontario and Manitoba in Canada. And also from the US, we have new listeners in California, Virginia, New York, Washington DC, Texas, Maryland, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Arizona, Colorado, and Ohio. So again, a good mix of new listeners right across the world. So a big welcome to you. And of course, a big thank you to all my regular listeners who take 30 minutes out of their week to listen to the GDPR weekly show and catch up on all the latest news about GDPR. Really appreciate you all taking 30 minutes out of your busy schedules to uh, listen to me and catch up on the latest news and information. And as always, if you have any feedback on the show or you have any thoughts on the show or indeed thoughts on who you'd like me to interview on the show, then please do drop me an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. And I'll do my best to uh, action your requests. Um, I do read every single email that I receive. Unfortunately, due to the volume, I don't have time to respond to all of them. But I do read every email that comes in, and I do value every comment that you have to make. So please do uh, give me some feedback on what you feel works well in the programme, what you feel perhaps doesn't work well, what you'd like to see more of. Um, Please just drop me a line to podcasts at insurety.co.uk, or you can find the details on the podcast page at... uh, www.insurety.co.uk and in a few moments I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR weekly show. Check us out on Facebook. So coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR weekly show we have an update on the Marriott data breach which occurred towards the end of 2018 We have news of a data breach from Kent County Council, uh, which unwittingly released data about parents who had adopted children. We have a look at the new PIPEDA laws coming into force in Canada, which are effectively Canada's federal version of GDPR and there are lots of similarities so we have a look at those and then finally we look at the penalty imposed on a company in the UK which uh, failed to respond to a data subject access request 
and as a consequence has been taken to their local magistrates court by the ICO. So a mixed bag as always this week and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden. Marriott Hotels have released some more information on their data breach which they suffered towards the end of 2018 and which we've reported on a couple of times now here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Um, But they've now done some more analysis. One of the big things to notice is that they have said that already without taking into account any fines that may come from uh, any of the European ICOs, uh, the data breach has already cost them something in the order of $28 million, uh, both in terms of resource needed to investigate the data breach, to make sure the data breach can't happen again, and also to deal with uh, requests for compensation from clients of Marriott Hotels who were affected by the data breach. So they've released a little more information on what actually happened and they're saying that the data breach was originally detected by the company that looks after their uh, databases and servers for them when someone at the database uh, server company noticed an unusual database query but which had originated, it appeared, from one of the administrator's accounts on the system. Uh, When they dug a bit deeper, they found that the request had not been made by a genuine administrator on the system, but that someone had managed to uh, find a backdoor into the system and make this query. Once this was discovered, uh, as you'd expect, Marriott took the uh, precaution of getting all administrators to change their passwords and then set about trying to fix the problem and what they discovered was that there were in fact two significant queries against the database which had been performed that that data had then been compressed encrypted and long since removed from the network and so it was actually in some ways a question of some guesstimate on the part of uh, Marriott on just quite whose information had been requested. Um, And so six days later, they decided to go public, which was a little outside the 72 hours that is recommended under GDPR. In fact, always required under GDPR. Um, So they should have done this in three days. They actually did it within six. And again, we wait and see whether the ICO imposes any additional penalty on them because of that. But they have now, through their research, A, been able to seal the leak into their system so that no one else can get in through that particular back door. And also, they've now assessed the scale of the data that was involved. And they're saying that they believe that the Uh, people who made the infiltration into the system have have got away with the details of 383 million guest records. 
and included within that data were 18.5 million encrypted passport numbers, 5.25 million unencrypted passport numbers, of which approximately 663,000 were from US travellers, and so by implication therefore some 4.6 million were from uh, travellers from other countries worldwide. The people who took the data also got away with 9.1 million encrypted payment card numbers, i.e. credit card and debit card numbers, and several thousand unencrypted payment card numbers, but Marriott have not yet been able to establish any closer figure on that other than to say several thousand. Um, the unencrypted ones are clearly a worry. The encrypted ones, uh, Marriott say that they are as confident as they can be that the people who stole the data didn't get away with the seed which was used to encrypt the credit card numbers and indeed there's been no widespread evidence of those credit card numbers being used maliciously by anyone since the data breach took place and therefore it's assumed that the people who've taken the data will not and have not been able to unencrypt the credit card information. So quite a significant update there from Marriott and in some ways well done to them for actually getting an update out to everybody. We wait and see what the decision of the ICO will be now that those details have come forward and whether there will be any more penalties imposed on Marriott for this breach. And of course, as always, once we have any more news on this case involving Marriott, we will bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. Just a reminder that as well as the podcast, we now have our own Facebook group. Please do pop along and see us there at https colon slash slash www.facebook.com slash groups slash GDPR Weekly Show. That's always one word, GDPR Weekly Show. And uh, do please come and join the group and follow the discussions that are going on. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Kent County Council uh, released details this week of a data breach amongst their family adoption data. Uh, Contact details of hundreds of adopted parents have been disclosed in a council email. The council say that human error was to blame for the email from Kent County Council's adoption service being sent to some 300 adoptive parents and some support workers. And unfortunately, it was done with all the email addresses being put as a CC in the top of the email. And so each of these 300 parents could see the email addresses of all the other uh, parents and of course the support workers. And it just goes to show the danger of using CC in emails. And as those of you who have attended our training will know, um, please try and get out of the habit of using CC in your emails. Please use BCC because then even if you do make a mistake, at least people won't be able to see the email addresses of all the other people that you've sent the email to. 
anyway, back to this particular case, and it was all done in uh, CC. Uh, Kent County Council has apologised to parents and pledged to improve its security procedures, while its data protection team has begun an investigation. I think it's probably a bit of overkill, because if he already knows it was because of human error and someone sent an email to the wrong uh, people, I don't really see what they're expecting the data protection team to do, other than train the staff more, obviously. But other than that, you know, it's, it's unfortunately one of those things that happened, I think. But nonetheless, not surprisingly, parents are upset and have voiced their fears that the data could fall into the wrong hands. And I think as well, this is almost certainly going to need reporting to the ICO because the fact that these are the email addresses of people looking to adopt children would almost certainly fall within the bounds of what would be considered to be sensitive data. So although the volume of data is not that high, it's only 300, and the leak is not too bad because it's only email addresses and it's only to other people in a similar situation, nonetheless, it does mean that perhaps someone in, in a particular store or a particular road now knows that someone else in their store or their road is also looking to adopt children. And obviously that data should not be out there in the public domain. And if I were one of the parents, I think I would be quite livid at what had happened. But it is a human error, and human, human errors are always going to happen, however due to the system that we have. One of the recipients who did not want to be identified said, I'm really concerned that my details have been shared so widely, potentially with pa parents at school or others elsewhere who do not know that our son is adopted. It would just take one person's email account to be hacked for all our details to end up who knows where. We are all looking after vulnerable children and many of us have concerns over birth families tracking down their children. The implications of such a data breach could be very serious. Another who was on the list said safeguarding of data is important in all walks of life, but surely it should be even more so when dealing with the families of vulnerable children. This is why it's very disappointing that robust systems were clearly not in place to prevent this data breach. Kent County Council say that they are doing everything they can to ensure there will be no repetition, and a spokesman for the council said a member of staff working for the post-adoption support team mistakenly copied a mailing list into the carbon copy, CC, section of their email client instead of the blind carbon copy, BCC, section. After realising their mistake, they immediately informed their manager, who then followed the relevant procedures. They attempted to recall the emails. We deeply regret this has happened. And I think it's important here that for all of what's gone wrong, it's also worth recognising what's gone right. What has gone right, obviously, is that Kent County Council obviously does have a very good procedure in place, as should all councils, indeed all organisations, in encouraging their staff to not try and cover up a mistake where there's been a data breach, but actually to report that breach to their senior manager as early as possible so that the right actions can be taken. Um, so we'll wait and see whether the ICO will take any action on this. I suspect personally that probably the uh, Kent County Council will simply get a wrap over the knuckles from the ICO and be told in no uncertain terms not to let it happen again uh, but I doubt they're going to see a financial penalty but we'll see and as soon as we have an update on that from 
the ICO, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We've mentioned several times on the GDPR Weekly Show about other countries which are using GDPR as a model for their own data protection legislation so that hopefully GDPR won't just become a EU European wide standard it will effectively become a worldwide standard and we've already seen countries like Japan adopting uh, GDPR pretty well as is and indeed obviously with things like the new acts in California we're seeing various US states adopt very similar laws to those within uh, GDPR and this week the Canadian government has announced their their personal information protection and electronic documents at PIPEDA which imposes obligations on private sector organizations that suffer a breach of security safeguards affecting personal information under their control and what's interesting reading these guidelines from the Canadian Office of the Privacy Commissioner, the OPC, is the massive similarity between the regulations as set out in PIPDA and regulations for managing data as set out in GDPR. And indeed, PIPEDA does such things as defining personal information, defines what a commercial activity is, defines what a data breach is, defines what the obligations are, defines as much as it can what is significant harm. Interestingly, rather like the UK and rather like the EU, all companies and organisations within Canada will fall subject to the PIPEDA. It won't be restricted to only large companies. It will apply to all companies holding data. There are no exemptions. And it will be interesting to see just how quickly uh, Canadian businesses take up these new regulations. There have already been a couple of previous regulations, but only at a state level. Alberta has its Personal Information Protection Act and British Columbia actually as recently as March the 1st introduced its own Personal Information Protection Act and Quebec has for a while have had an act respecting the protection of personal information in the private sector. But as I say, with this new act or this new uh, item, the PIPDA, is a federal uh, law and will apply right across Canada. And so hopefully it should be a relatively painless exercise for companies and organisations in Canada because they will be able to follow a lot of what has already happened here in the UK. And indeed if there are any Canadian organizations listening to this and we know we do have a number of uh, listeners in Canada now and you'd like help with complying with PIPDA then please do just drop us a line to podcast at insurancy 
ensure.co.uk that's e-n-s-u-r-e-t-y.co.uk and we'd be delighted to help you because we have a number of procedures which we're confident will fall in line with PIPDA and therefore save you from having to reinvent the wheel. Um, so please do get in touch with us and we'd be delighted to help you bring your procedures into line with PIPDA. But wider than that, it's good to see another country adopting GDPR, uh, essentially, and this should make it easier as we move forward into this bright new world post-Brexit, whatever that actually ends up looking like, assuming that in the UK we actually do go for Brexit at any point soon. It does feel a bit like the Hotel California, where we've checked in and we can never check out, but that aside, um, it's great to see all these countries across the world adopting very similar legislation because, as I say, long term that means it should simplify the data management concerns of organisations who trade in different countries across the world and worldwide trade is becoming far more common. It's no longer the preserve of just the large multinationals. A number of SMEs now operate in the international space and quite rightly so. Um, so, as I say, something we might come back to, we might do another article on PIPDA in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, but in the meantime, if you have any queries, please do just drop us an email to podcast at insurancy.co.uk. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We've often mentioned data breaches on the GDPR Weekly Show, but it's worth remembering that data breaches aren't the only reason that you can incur a penalty from the ICO under GDPR. Another way that a penalty can be imposed on you is if you do not reply to a subject access request or you do not do so in a timely manner or you do not provide all the information which is held about the data subject. And a Buckinghamshire housing developer has learnt this to their peril. Um, They received a data subject access request. They did not respond. So after 40 days, the person who made the data subject access request contacted the ICO. The ICO subsequently sent three letters at intervals to this company. And again, no information was forthcoming. And so finally, the ICO or an officer from the ICO spoke to the company concerned on the telephone and told them, you know, that they really needed to get this data out to the person who'd made the request as quickly as possible. The company said they would, but in reality, they just ignored the request. And as a result, they've ended up being taken to uh, court by the ICO, who brought a criminal prosecution against the firm. Uh, The case was held in Westminster Magistrates Court, and the company was fined £300 for not responding to the subject access request, ordered to pay a victim surcharge of £30, 
and also ordered to pay £1,133.75p towards the ICO's trusts. So, in total, it's cost the company almost £1,500, simply because they didn't reply to the subject access request. And, of course, even though they've been fined that now, they still have to respond to the subject access request, so they still have to go through all the work that they've been trying to avoid doing, because if they don't, they find themselves in court again. And obviously next time, they're likely to get fined far more than the £300 they got fined this time. And of course, again, there's likely to be at least another £1,000 of ICO costs. So if you get a data subject access request, please, please, please don't ignore it. Make sure you action it. Make sure you get back to the person. If you're not clear what they're asking for, then get back and ask them what they confirm what they're asking for. Do, of course, confirm the person's identity before you release any information. But do action the request and try your utmost to action the request within the 30 days that GDPR requires you to do so. Otherwise, you could well be the next organisation, company, finding yourself in front of a magistrate trying to explain why you haven't done it. And I'd suggest that none of us want that to happen. So please, if you get a subject access request, do comply with it as quickly as you can. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurability production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurability production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.